Hunters, how is it going? And welcome back to Q-Balls Beard Rambles. This is episode 36. And again, I have a very, very special guest for you. I'm, I'm, I'm good to you guys. He is a former WWE superstar. He's a host of the Road to Recovery podcast, podcast with a purpose, and also Trash Cam Live. Hunters, I give you Duke the Dumpster, Rosie. Right on, man. Thank you very much. That was an excellent intro, by the way. You got all my stuff in. I like it. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Uh, honestly, like I said, thank you very much for agreeing to come on. You know, I understand you're a very busy person. And for someone like me, who's just, you know, just this little person who speaks to wrestlers and all that, it's, uh, it's nice to have people like you come on, you know, and share your story with us and me, my followers. and Yeah, I always enjoy coming on, doing the interviews and podcasts and stuff like that. I mean, I mean, I know there's some guys out there that, don't like doing it maybe but i love doing it i've always loved doing it i love doing it when i was in the wwf back in the day they always sent me on all the uh meet and greets and stuff like that because uh you know the other guys were always too busy to do stuff but they would send old duke the dumpster he'd go do it and sign autographs for kids and all that good stuff and do the interviews and you know i just i, I know it's an important thing and plus i just kind of feel like um lucky this time around to have been able to come back and get back in touch with the fans and, and interact with them the way I have been. And it's been a blast and I'm having fun with it. So doing interviews like this is just part of it, man. And I enjoy all of it. Nice. I love it. Absolutely love it. But yeah, so I thank you again, like I said, I was coming on. So should we start with the questions? Should we start with the questions? Yeah. Sure. So everybody who comes on has a story. And as I always say, I love listening to the stories and insert cheesy joke here. But the millions and millions, it's not millions, it's ten hundreds people watching at home. Dozens. Dozens. Think of think whatever. How and why did you get into the wrestling business that we all know and love? <clears throat> of course, like many guys, I was a wrestling fan. I grew up down in Miami, Florida, here in the States. And uh there was a promotion back in the territory days. It was called Championship Wrestling from Florida with Gordon Soley. <coughs> Excuse me. And it was an NWA territory. And they had TV every week, and they ran live shows up and down Florida every single week. And I would watch it on TV, and I would go to the live shows, and I was just a fan. Um, and then as I, I as I got older and I, and I got into high school, um, then one, I guess it was 84, 85 that WrestleMania one happened. And, um, my dad took me to go see it on a closed circuit television at an arena. There was no pay-per-view in those days. And, um, watching the way that show happened, it was such a different thing. You know, it was a spectacle. It was just amazing the way Vince McMahon put it all together. And, um, that was the moment where I knew I wanted to become a professional wrestler. So when I was, I was a wrestler in high school, amateur wrestling. And, uh, we had a thing where the local Florida wrestlers came and did a show in our gym for us as a fundraiser for the wrestling team. And we got to work security to walk them out to the ring, like Lex Luger and, and Dusty Rhodes and all these guys. 
and my dad was there too, helping out. And my dad went in the locker room and started asking around to see where he could find a wrestling school for me to start learning how to become a professional wrestler. And he did. There was a local, it wasn't even really, it was just back in those days, man. It, somebody had a ring in a warehouse, they called it a school. And um, this guy named Bobby Wales taught me how to wrestle. He taught me the basics for probably about a year. Um, we also had Norman Smiley come through that that uh, school as well, uh, and among other people. But yeah, that's how it all started. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, so a couple of, you know, you've, you've been doing your training, you've been learning your basics. You uh, would have been on the independent scene as well at the time. Am I correct? Yeah, I was going to college and I, and I was wrestling on any independent shows I could get on. I mean, it wasn't like, you, you know, the independent before COVID hit this, uh, last year, the independent scene here in the States was amazing. Uh, it was nothing like that back then. I mean, you'd, you'd work once or twice a month, you know, because I was staying locally in Florida. But, yeah, I was trying to catch any independent shows I could while I was still studying in college. So, so you done the independent scene, and then you got to WWF at the time. So... How did that come about? What happened there? How did you get into the WWF? Uh, I've told this story before. It's um, what I did as I was wrestling in those independent shows in Florida. I was I, I came up with the character, uh, the garbage man, Rocco Gibraltar. And I was wrestling in Florida as the garbage man and um, putting together as much tape footage of myself as I could. And uh, I eventually, when I was getting ready to graduate from college, I put together a promotional package with the tape and a resume and pictures. And um, I, was getting my, I was getting myself ready to just travel around the United States in my car and try to get a job somewhere. But what ended up happening is they had an exec, a TV executive convention near my home in Miami at that time. It was at the Miami Beach Convention Center, the same place I saw WrestleMania 1, by the way. And um, it was a convention where TV executives came to buy and sell shows on TV. And uh, the, the WWF was there and WCW were all there. And this is back when Hulk Hogan was jumping to WCW, right about that time. And... Um, I had a friend who was a local TV executive at a station in Miami, Channel 2. He was the vice president. And he gave me his credentials, and I just walked in like I was a TV executive at Channel 2. And I walked right up to Vince McMahon at the WWF booth and uh, shook his hand, introduced myself, and told him I wanted to work for him and gave him a promotional package. And, um, you know, he asked me a couple of questions and shook his hand again. and. Asked him if you know if he could look at it at his earliest convenience. He said he would, and I left. I got out of there, <laughs> and uh, he had JJ Dillon call me. Probably I was I think it was like a week later. JJ Dillon was the head of talent relations at that time, and JJ called me to bring me up for a tryout. Oh, nice, very nice. I would say confidence may have helped on that one by the sound of things. Go, you going up to you know Vince McMahon. I was scared to death, but I didn't give myself time to think about it. You know, I literally found out he was there the night before. 
And I mean, I had a suit ready. I mean, I was going to travel to the United States and, you know, I had a suit and everything because I had planned to meet promoters and, uh, well, it all just came together. I had it all ready. And uh, when I found out he was there, I said, I got to go there. I got to get in that place and I got to go talk to him because this is it. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't stop and really think afterwards. I couldn't believe I did it, but, uh, but you know, cause in those days, nobody, I mean, especially now, nobody just walks up to Vince McMahon. It was kind of like, he was like the emperor of wrestling, you know? And, um, I just didn't give myself time to think about it. I said, screw it. I'm doing it. I'm going to do it. And whatever happens, happens. Because if I don't do it, the answer is already no. And it's going to stay a no unless I go make it a yes. That's what my mom always taught me anyway. So that's what I did. There we are. There you saw it. So you got your tryout at WWF. You, you, know, you were successful, obviously. And your debut match was against Barry Horowitz. I think I pronounced his name right. Apologies if I haven't. Um, how did that go? How would you how would you feel that went as your first time in WWF? Barry Horowitz is always uh, first of all. I, I should say this: Barry Horowitz was my first match on Monday Night Raw. My very first match was actually a taped match on Superstars against a guy named Mike Bell. Um, who unfortunately is no longer with us. He was a great guy, though. Mike Bell, he was an enhancement wrestler at the time. And um, it was right before that match on Superstars where we started to set up the angle with Jerry the King Lawler, where I dumped garbage on him. But, um, you know, wrestling Barry Horowitz has always been easy. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. Barry Horowitz, if you let him, he'll eat you alive in the ring. He'll take, He'll make himself look good. You got to be very careful and make sure that you don't give him too much. If you're the star and you're supposed to be shining, <clears throat> you got to be careful not to give him too much because that's the way the business is. Guys will get themselves over, and Barry knew how to do that. But technically speaking, and as a worker, uh, you know Barry was one of the best to work with. He was he was so easy to wrestle with. He's a great wrestler, great guy, and I'm still friends with him to this day. Oh, nice. Very cool. Very, very cool. Jerry Lawler. Now, I believe there was an incident where uh, he had to apologize on live TV, I read. Yeah. Is, that, is that a bad thing? Is that... So, yeah. Well, it was just stupid. You know, that was my very first angle, my very first feud. And, um, you know, they did the thing where I came out and he made fun of me. He put a clothespin on his nose like I stunk, like I smelled bad. And I dumped garbage on his head. So then the following, they did a, they did a live raw and um, they did King's Court. And he had me come out to the ring and uh, he made fun of me. He told me he was mad at me for dumping garbage on him. But he made fun of me. He would not let me in the ring. He wouldn't let me hardly talk. Anyway, before we did all that, me and Jerry were talking over how we wanted to do it. I was supposed to walk away, and he was just going to attack me. But um, Jerry asked me if it would be okay after he hits me if, I, if he grabbed the can and hit me with it. And I said, I'm fine with that. You know, because when I was wrestling in, down in Florida, man, everybody was getting hit with that can. Other people were getting hit with it. I was getting hit with it. Everybody was getting hit with it. So I didn't even think twice about it. Um, 
And then we asked Jack Lanza was the agent for that segment. We asked him and he said, just, he was just like, just go ahead and do it. You know, he was basically like, you can ask for, you know, forgiveness later. Don't ask for permission or they'll say no. So we just went out and did it and they freaked out. It freaked the office out. It freaked everybody out. Um, you can see on the live shot when he hits me, the camera angle shoots way, way far away immediately because it was too violent. Yeah. They deemed it too violent for their product at the time. They were still trying to be PG era and, you know, family entertainment. And um, they immediately had Gorilla Monsoon and, and Macho Man come on live because they were doing the commentary and they apologized for it. They said, you'll never see that again. We are so sorry. And, you know, I mean, they were legit apologizing. And then they set up this stupid angle the next week, this thing where Jerry Lawler had to, they taped it at the studio at the, in, in Connecticut, where Jerry Lawler had to come on and apologize, like, like he was apologizing to me or something for hitting me. And I realized at that moment that uh, it was going to be hard to get stuff by them that would get me over you know, like the canned stuff and all that. I had to be very careful uh, because um, they squashed it. I mean, that that killed it. You know, something that should have ended in a good pay-per-view match, we didn't even get a pay-per-view out of it. Me and Jerry ended up wrestling on Monday Night Raw later on in a match where Doink and Dink the Clown got involved because that was Jerry Lawler's next feud. In fact, I think it was at the Survivor Series maybe where they did the, the match with Doink versus Jerry Lawler and all the 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 mini kings and all the mini dinks. Yeah, yeah. So that was the only thing me and Lawler did was the Monday Night Raw to set that up. And then he went with Doink and I was out of the picture. So <clears throat> yeah, it ended up not being a great angle. It could have been a lot better, but they just, I don't know, I guess they got turned off by the can thing or however but you know it just didn't work out very well yeah which is a shame obviously understanding back then because you know, yeah, in a couple of years later they're doing dumpster matches and everybody's bleeding all over the place yeah. hardcore championships so would you like would you say yourself that because that happened that was a good thing you know it sort of made them realize oh actually it's quite, you know, it was a good thing that happened. We could probably put that into somewhere down the line or. I think definitely it opened some eyes to other possibilities. And then when like ECW came along and they were doing what they were doing later on, like in 96, uh, I think the powers that be in the WWF saw the tides were changing in the business and the fans were changing and uh, they finally kind of relented and let hardcore style move into, you know, what they were doing into the business more, into WWF more. But um, I mean, I don't think I was some pivotal moment just because Jerry hit me with the can, but it was shocking. It was definitely shocking to the fans. They didn't know what they were seeing. They were kind of, if you watch it, live when he hits me you hear that you hear a lot of people go oh and then it gets quiet they're like they didn't even know how to take it it was yeah. like they were shocked <laughs> you know i think maybe they thought 
they were like, man, he really hit him. Or, you know, those cans, they're really thin galvanized steel. And if it's a new can and you hit somebody with it, it gives really easy. It's not that big of a deal, at least the first couple of times. But uh, when he hit me with it, you know, I, I think just people didn't know that they think it's hard steel and it knocked me out or whatever. But it was just interesting the way they reacted. So, yeah. but yeah, it was, it was a cool angle, but they wouldn't let us get away with it. Shame. Maybe a different era might have been a lot better for you guys. Oh, yeah. So, in your time at WWF, uh, you feuded with Triple H. Yep, the other main feud, the other major feud that I had was Triple H. And interestingly, it came about about the time I was going, my first initial two-year contract was up. Um, and at that point, they were just killing me, you know. I mean, they weren't, I wasn't getting very many bookings on the road. I wasn't making a lot of money. I wasn't on TV very much, but if I was on TV, I was putting over new guys like Vader and Mankind and other people. And um, I was getting frustrated. So um, one day at the last minute at TV, they wanted to have me do a job for the ringmaster, this brand new guy that just came in by the name of Steve Austin. And I picked that moment to refuse. Now it wasn't because of Steve yeah. and I told him that. And I told Steve, I said, it's not nothing to do with you. I just told him they've been killing me here lately and I'm, I'm, I got to take a stand here at some point. And he totally understood. And we're still friends to this day. I mean, he, we were friends really, we were friends after that and rode together a lot, but he was the one that I decided not to do a job for of all the people in the world. We still laugh about that. I talked to him about how I, I always say, I would, I refuse to do a job for stone cold Steve Austin, but, uh, they changed it around and they gave me the angle with Triple H and basically got me to sign a one-year rollover, which is usually, that's the standard next contract was a year, one year at a time with no guarantee money or nothing. And I signed the one-year rollover and got the angle with Triple H and we did the deal. And the idea was I was going to wrestle him. I, I knew he was going to beat me because he was in the clique. And that was fine. Um, but my push was for them to turn me heel. Right. So I wanted to change my appearance and change the gimmick and just maybe just be Duke Drosy or whatever. Just want to be a heel. And uh, Jim Ross came up with the idea of cutting my hair yeah, on TV. Because yeah, I wanted to cut my hair anyway. And he said, why don't we make it part of the angle? And I remember sitting back and I looked at all the people in the room. It was me, Vince McMahon. Jim Ross, Jerry Briscoe was standing there, and maybe Bruce Pritchard was in there. And I looked at everybody, and uh, I got a really bad feeling about it. But I said, I'm willing to do it. I don't have a problem letting him cut my hair, man. As long as you give me some kind of revenge in the end, you know, and then we move forward with my deal, whatever it is. You know, Vince said, absolutely, yes, of course. <laughs> so... Anyway, we got to the pay-per-view, which ended up being an in-your-house pay-per-view. That was all. It was just one of the smaller ones. And uh, the finish was he was just hitting me in the face with the garbage can lid and pinning me one, two, three. You know, it was just stupid. And um, I was I was not happy about it. 
and I let them know I wasn't happy about it. But I mean, I I, I was going to do it. Yes, I was going to do business. Yeah. So I just showed up and I did what I had to do and I did the job. And after that, there was no heel turn. There was no revenge. They put Triple H. He got squashed by the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania 12. And then he got set up with Mark Marrow and that angle. And Duke just kind of went off and went back to doing jobs. I didn't get another angle after that. See, they got me to sign my one-year rollover. And then they just threw me right back into the you know, the pit of hell doing nothing. <laughs> so yeah. that's when I really got frustrated and stuff. And, and I didn't last much longer after that because I was just tired of it. That's fair enough. I mean, um, I, no offense, but this is kind of the reason why I like to speak to like uh, former WWE guys because a lot of people see WWE or Impact Wrestling, AWE, AEW, sorry, as like this oh, amazing. Yeah, we know which it is. You get a great experience out of it, I guess. But you, there are also bad, the bad times as well. And, you know, I guess it can come to light to people who would like to be in WWE. They can kind of see, do, do you know what I'm trying to say? You know, it's just kind of like a bad Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And the thing people don't realize is back in those days, during the new generation era, or as I like to call it, the dark ages of wrestling, nobody was making, there was like three or four guys on top that were making decent money, but everybody else was starving. I mean, some of us were not making hardly anything at all. And uh, to to not make any money and have them beat the hell out of you and kill your character off, it was just kind of the double whammy. And you're like, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Why don't I just go try something else or get out of here? And uh, that's what I ended up doing. It was, I got, well, I just got to the point where I was complaining so much that Vince said I could, I According to Jerry Briscoe, Vince told, said I could go home. Vince never actually told me that himself. So I don't know. There's some dispute. Maybe Vince never sent me home. But Jerry came up to me one day and said, Vince said you can go on home. So who knows? But I got out of there. I was just tired of it anyway. And I was on, man, at that point, man, I was using a lot of drugs, freaking painkillers and all this crap. You know, I had hurt my back working with Triple H. Um Nothing he did. I just, I screwed up and fell out of the ring uh, at a live show when we were working our way up to the pay-per-view. And um, I knew I had to make the pay-per-view, so I didn't, I didn't quit wrestling. I just started taking a lot of painkillers to get through it. <clears throat> so I was just mentally not in a good place. So I was ready to get the hell out of there. And I ended up, I mean, I, I still had like eight months left on my, that one-year contract when I left. I mean, I literally left after like four months of the rollover and just, I was gone. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think obviously being off, nowhere near where you was or are, but, you know, I think the mentality, you know, being mentally okay, especially in wrestling, I think that's a big factor as well. Because if you're not mentally in the game, as they say, then it's, it's no good. So you need to be in the right frame of mind, I, I, I would say. Big time. And uh, not just the fact that I was doing drugs screwed things up, but you do have to have a very strong will and, and, and be mentally strong because it's a form of entertainment, wrestling is. And there's just like any other entertainment, you know, there's a lot of rejection and a lot of letdowns. A lot of promoters lie to you to get you to do things and then things don't come through 
And it's how you handle those situations that will determine how successful you will be. And honestly, at that time, I didn't handle them right. I was not in the right frame of mind to handle those things properly. And I just let it get to me and I let it eat me up. And uh, I just, it was, my days were numbered because I was just so bitter and angry about it that I just didn't want to be there anymore, which is stupid. You know, if you're up there, don't ever, Macho Man used to say, don't ever take yourself out of the game. And there's truth to that. If you're in one of the major federations, okay, and you're not where you want to be, you're not, you don't feel like you're being successful, you know, don't just up and quit. Try to change things about your situation and get yourself over and have a better spot. Um, or at least raise your value so if you do leave, you can go somewhere else and have a good spot, like Japan or AEW or whatever. But um, I just, when I realized they weren't doing anything with me after the Triple H feud, I just got it, went into this angry depression and I just quit working out. I just didn't care. I just, just showing up and doing whatever. I just didn't care. And uh, that was the wrong approach. You know, that was the wrong approach. So my days were numbered, and that's how it went down. It's horrible. Men mental health is awful. You know, it makes you yeah. do... You, if make, you let it, it'll eat you up. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I can relate to myself. I, I suffer uh, mental health, depression, anxiety. I can I can relate in terms of that, and it, it's horrible, you know. Yeah, you got to find support every day. You got to do the things you need to do to take care of yourself. Self-care is the most important. Uh, and if I understood that back in those days, things would have been a lot different. Uh, but unfortunately, I had to go spiraling down a, a very dark hole for a while uh, before I could kind of hit rock bottom and, and, and learn things about myself and make, you know, come back from those things and learn a lot about life and and how it can humble you. It humbled me, boy, I'll tell you what. And um, coming back from that with a new sense of humility changes your perspective on this world. <clears throat> and that's why I do what I do now, you know, with the podcast, The Road to Recovery and other things like that. And I work in a drug court program here in Tennessee now helping people helping addicts, trying to help them stay out of jail and prison and get them help. Because at one time I needed a lot of help. And, uh, you know, there's times in this life where we need help and you need to ask for it. So, yeah, but I, I just, back in those days, mentally, I wasn't equipped for the business and the letdowns and the lies and the, you know, of the promoters and stuff like that. And uh, I let it get to me, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can see why you was frustrated and you know everything got on top of you. But now you're in a better place. You know yeah. that that's that's the good side of things. That's the positives, and that's what you need to. That's what everybody needs to do right now, especially in the world pandemic. Mental health Absolutely. is affecting everybody, and it's just trying to remain positive, and that's the key thing. You just got to try that. Try and find that thing and keep keep it going. Absolutely. I agree with that. You got to find the reason to kind of keep things going and you got to find support. You got to talk to people, you know, don't just curl up in a ball of depression and, you know, let the world 
beat you down. You know, you got to stand up and take care of yourself, especially during this pandemic. So, you know, that's what you're seeing a lot of now. And to go along with it, all the nonsense, bullshit politics, especially here in the States that go along with it is creating this division of people and this hatred between people. And you got to be on this side or that side, Donald Trump or Joe Biden, all this crap. It's so stupid and so pointless. And um, it's just creating hatred among people. And uh, I try not to live my life that way anymore. I was angry and bitter for a long time at the wrestling business, among other things. And uh, I had to get my ass kicked to learn, you know, I need patience and and I learned I need to learn to be grateful in this world and and I needed to learn not to hold on to resentment and anger cuz that just makes you sick and makes you mentally ill and tired and sad and everything and um I I see a lot of that in the world today you know so in my 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 own little teeny tiny way within my own little corner here in the world I'm trying to change a little bit of it with, 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 the, with the podcast and the things I do and try to kind of put out a message of positivity and stuff because there's plenty of negativity in the world, you know, and I'm just trying to give people a different perspective and make them think and make them realize we don't have to hate the world. We don't have to hate each other. and We, we definitely don't have to hate ourselves. You know, there's a lot to be thankful for. I mean, I'm just happy to be here, honestly. There's, there's been many times where I could have easily not been on this earth anymore. I could have been a wrestling statistic very easily. So uh, I'm grateful every day to be here. Life, I always say life is beautiful on this side, man. And recovery is a beautiful thing. Love it. I absolutely love the positivity. And I'm sure a lot of the people who watch this is going to really like that bit as well, because I know I have a lot of um, followers on here who do suffer with their mental health. And it's something, I've, yeah. it's, I've, it's, some, it's something I've tried to cover during doing these rambles and on my page is mental health, because it is okay not to be okay. You know, it's okay to talk to somebody. You feel like a burden. Yeah. Someone, you know, but yeah, love there's the nothing to be ashamed of, man. People hide it because they're ashamed. Yeah, man, no, you got to get that stuff out there and talk about it. That's how we get, that's how we heal. That's how we get better. You know, I spent many years of my life trying to hide all the things I was going through because I felt like I had to be strong and I could never let anybody know my dirty little secret of being an addict or being, you know, unhappy and mentally ill and. It's just not the way it is. The, the truth is, if you want to get better, you got to get as much support as you can. And there's plenty of support out there, man. There's lots of people that are going through the same things that are willing to help, that are willing to listen, that are willing to talk to you. So, you know, I always encourage people, speak up, talk about it. Don't hide it. It doesn't have to be your dirty little secret, man. It, you can change your life and you can be happy. We don't have to be miserable. Uh, do you know what? I, I could speak to you for hours and hours about this stuff. I really could. Sure. It's, it's, it's awesome to hear, you know? Yeah. Let's get the next question. So, uh, Back you, to wrestling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I didn't mind speaking about that. That's fine. You know, I, like I said, I like to incorporate the mental health side of things because it is important. Right on. That's cool. And um, obviously, you spoke about your time after WWE. Um, okay. You 
briefly spoke about uh, this, the podcast, Road to Recovery. So let's talk about that podcast. I know it's, it's you and, yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head. I know there's a couple of you who do this podcast. Um, yeah, Avi Klein. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I I met Avi Klein about two years ago. He, you know, kind of met. He messaged me on Facebook and asked me to do his show. It was called Wrestling with Anything But WWAB. Wrestling with Anything But was his podcast. And the interesting thing about his podcast was he would interview wrestlers, but he would talk about a whole lot more than just wrestling. You know, he was he was a history teacher by trade at the time. And to me, it was just one of the most interesting interviews I had ever done. And and plus, he always had a very good intro, man. He would quote, like, famous people from history when he was introducing you. And the, anyway, we hit it off. You know, we had a good time. But we did his – it was like a two-hour interview. We sat there and, and on the phone and, and do, did this interview. Anyway, afterwards, he kind of talked to me about it and, and – he asked me if I might be interested someday in doing a podcast with him. And this is two years ago. And I said, yeah, you know, thinking like, okay, yeah, sure. Everybody wants to do a podcast. And at that time I was doing a different podcast with some other guys that was not really working out too well, but I was just like, yeah, sure. No problem. Just let me know, you know, just let me know, you know how it is. And, um, Every so often, like every six months or so, he would get in touch with me and say, hey, man, I just want to let you know, you know, things are working well. We're still kind of working on it, da, da, da. And I was just thinking, yeah, okay. And I know a couple of years ago, he went to StarCast, you know, that convention, and he had he had already had a podcast going with Ray Lloyd, Glacier, uh, called Breaking the Ice. And they went and did a live version of that at the StarCast uh, convention. And uh, he got in touch with me and said, me and Ray Lloyd are doing this, but I want to do more. You know, he wanted to do more stuff. He had a lot of really great ideas. Well, what I didn't know is during all that time, Avi was working very hard behind the scenes to make it happen. And he was pulling together one of the most amazing teams of podcasters I've ever heard of. Um, there's myself. There is, like I said, Ray Lloyd Glacier. Uh, there is Del Wilkes, who was the Patriot. There is Bill DeMott, who was Hugh Morris. Yep. There is Paul Roma, pretty Paul Roma, uh, formerly of the Four Horsemen and many other things. He's been all throughout the business and the WWE and everything. Um, he's also got Don Morocco, and we just signed up Ken Patera, who's going to start on March 1st with his podcast that is the group of individuals all doing podcasts with avi klein and avi's got a podcast every night of the week seven days a week a couple of days he's got two podcasts one in the daytime and one in the evening but my podcast and, th and that's another great thing about avi klein he's the mastermind behind this but when he got together with me he asked me he goes what do you want to do a podcast about and I knew, I knew immediately because I was already working in the recovery field with substance abuse. I said, I want to do something about recovery, maybe call it Road to Recovery. And uh, we put together this idea and he thought it was great. And um, we ran with it. So my show, I, the show I do with him is called Road to Recovery. I call it the podcast with a purpose. Um, it's on Fridays right now. All of our podcasts are on Facebook Live. 
uh, free for everybody to watch on my Facebook page, which is Mike Drosy, Avi Klein's Facebook page, or any of those other wrestlers I mentioned. All of their Facebook pages show all of our shows live every day of the week. We also uh, stream to Twitch. If you follow WWAB podcast on Twitch, you get all the notifications. We are on all, well, most of the other platforms. We're like on um, Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. Um, We're getting ready to do a a program on uh, Patreon with extra content for the subscriptions. Excuse me. And eventually we're moving to YouTube. That's coming up soon, too. We have national sponsors. It's really taking off. Um, You know, we are right now, every show is averaging i want to say is averaging about four hundred thousand live views which is insane but i mean granted it's on free facebook yes but we have built up we have built up this unbelievable community of people and each show does its own thing it's different you know um i do the road to recovery thing uh glacier talks a lot about the movie industry he's in the entertainment industry and uh, he talks wrestling and stuff paul roma talks wrestling and uh, among other things sometimes del wilkes talks a lot about politics and stuff like that i mean there's just there's something for everybody and like i said the mastermind behind all of it has been avi klein um he is like the godfather taking over the podcast world one of these days because it's amazing what he's put together and all the hard work he's put in. And I feel fortunate just to be a part of it, but yep. Duke, the dumpsters road to recovery is Fridays at 6 PM Eastern time, 5 PM central on my Facebook page. And I also have a little podcast I do by myself, which is on Saturdays at 7 PM Eastern time called trash cam live. And I took that name from an idea that I had in the WWF where I used to walk around with a camera backstage and they called it the trash cam. And I know I was telling you this before, but eventually they stole it and gave it to Shawn Michaels and called it the click cam. But that's where trash cam live came from. And trash cam live is a bit different. You know, it's a little bit more, I can, I can use profanity there. Whereas on my road to recovery, we don't cuss or anything because we have national sponsors like right guard and Sharpie and many other people that are, kind of looking over our shoulder. So we got to be careful in that respect, but it's okay because it's good, you know, entertainment, but trash cam live, that's my baby. And I get to have fun with it. And I get to pull in my own guests and talk about whatever I want to. And uh, yeah, like I said, that's also on, on Facebook live. And, and again, trash cam live is Saturdays at 7 PM Eastern, 6 PM central, but that's what I'm doing now. You know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I'm doing and I'm enjoying it. It's a passion of mine. You know, and it's just, so it's not hard work for me at all because it's something I love doing. And that's the, that's the important thing. If you're happy doing it, you love what you're doing. Amazing. It's like you're not working at all. <laughs> exactly. That's the reason why I do this, do this rambles. Yeah. I, I, this, you know, it's a, uh, it's my break from life, if you will. You know, I yeah. can go from my real self, if you will, and then I'll go into keyboard. This is my gimmick. My break That's my break from life at the moment. This is how I, this is how I, uh, what's the word? Word now. It's how Defrag- I- Defragment your brain. Yeah, it's how I stay sane, you know. So, yeah. 
And having, I hear you. And having guests like you come on, this it just makes it worthwhile, you know? Sure. Oh, yeah. that is my questions out of the way now. I'm going to okay. come at you with the fan uh, questions. That's okay, cool. you, sir. Absolutely. So, first question is uh, by Tristan Hayes, 13, from Instagram. He would like to know, what's the story with your foot? With if, my what? With your foot. My foot? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> if you want to answer it, up to you. Mike. Oh, yeah. No, I my foot my left foot was amputated in 2013. They had to chop it off because I had an infection. Uh, and what happened actually was, you know, there's a long story behind it, but it, it was related to the drug abuse. I was, um, I relapsed. I got clean in 03 and I stayed clean for quite a while. And then in 2009. 2010, I, I started taking pills again, which was a big mistake because I had a foot injury. <clears throat> it got really bad and um, the foot got really bad, but then I got really bad on drugs. So I, instead of getting my foot fixed, I just ran around trying to get more drugs and the foot got so bad when they tried to fix it, it was hard. It was hard to fix it. Plus, I was still running around getting drugs and wasn't taking care of it. So it kind of fell apart. I was walking on it when I shouldn't, I wasn't following the doctor's orders. And after two surgeries, it got a staph infection inside of it. And it pretty much ate up the rest of any of the usable bone in the foot. And uh, it was just a big mess of bone and metal and screws and rods and pins and <clears throat> Um, I just remember I had to go to the hospital and they gave me the option. They said, we can try to fuse it together and clean it up the best we can, but you're still going to, there's no guarantee and you're still going to be in pain. And that was, that was the thing. I was in so much pain with the foot. I was exhausted and yes, I was on drugs, but I was still exhausted with the pain and the other option was we can amputate the foot and get you fitted with a prosthetic it's below the knee you know it's just the uh just below the calf muscle you know it's just the ankle and the foot they took and um i said yeah let's do that you know i was probably drugged up when i said it but you know it was probably the best thing for me to do but that's how i lost it because i was so addicted to drugs i wasn't taking care of myself and uh it got real bad and then it got infected and that was all she wrote so um it was a very hard lesson that was one of the many very difficult lessons i had to learn about drug addiction and all the things that it has taken away from me uh my foot being one of them that's the story oh all right there we go yeah. so do about that um but you're doing okay now you know it's yeah yeah not feeling yeah i got a good prosthetic foot on now this i will say this 2020 was very difficult in uh 2019 november i got an infection in the stump in the end of it and uh it got infected and i had surgery and they cut that out of it and it just stopped healing. It wouldn't heal upright. And uh, it took a year. It took all of 2020 to heal up. So I was, I couldn't walk. I was on a, like, well, I don't have it out here, but the scooter, I had to ride on a scooter 
for the whole year. Uh, so add that on to, you know, the uh, coronavirus stuff and all that other nonsense going on in the United States, and people being out of work and me not being able to walk. It was an interesting 2020, but I finally got the help I needed, got it healed up, and I got a new foot right at the end of 2020. Uh, like right before Christmas, I got a new leg and uh, it works great. And I'm up and walking and, and everything's going great now. Nice. Happy Christmas. <laughs> right. Nice. That's very cool. Uh, next question by FletcherLaw7 from Instagram. Uh, he's asking, what advice would you give to your younger self if you could jump into the Bill and Ted's phone box? <clears throat> I like that one. I like that question. Um, let me think. Don't do drugs. <laughs> don't be yeah. a follower. Don't be a follower. Do, don't get caught up in the unimportant things in life. Um, you know, stand up for yourself. And, and again, yeah, stay away from drugs and alcohol. It's just a dead end road. Yeah. Uh, Steve-O Jones, uh, he's got a couple of questions for you, actually. Uh, first one being, what was your weirdest or worst match or opponent? My weirdest match? Uh, um, it could be... That's hard. It could be before. Uh, the, or, well, the gimmick battle royal was interesting. It was yeah, rest, funny. yeah. I, yeah, I was supposed to ask about that, but yeah, go on. The gimmick battle royal at WrestleMania 17, man, we were all in there just goofing off. Of course, I was messed up on drugs, too. I, I wasn't working there anymore. They just brought me in for that. Yeah. And uh, I was just in really bad shape. But we all just walked around punching and kicking each other at freaking, you know, probably the greatest WrestleMania of all of them. And, uh, yeah. but it was just funny in there. Everybody was laughing and goofing off. And I mean, the gobbledygooker was in there for Christ's sakes. Uh, it was just weird. It was definitely weird. It was surreal because that's probably the weirdest match. Was the Gooka Undertaker or was it the Gooka? Was it the what? Was the Gooka the Undertaker? Because apparently he was supposed to be the Gooka at one point. No, it was, uh, <laughs> uh, it was, uh, which, which, it was one of the Guerreros. I don't remember which one, Chavo Guerrero, the older, the father, but, uh, he was the gobbledygooker. Ah, there's one secret out, I think. I think it's a secret still. I'm not sure. I don't know, but anyway, yeah. uh, next question from Steve-O is, uh, if you could have swapped your gimmick with one person, who would it be? Swapped my gimmick. Hmm. Uh, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'd have rather been. Uh, if I was being more like myself, I would have been like that. It would have been, you know, trash talking, you know, beer chugging, That's mean SOB. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I knew. I thought you were going to say Steve Austin. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, next one is, if you could wrestle any person from the current batch of wrestlers, who would you want to face? Either WWE, AEW, Impact, wherever. 
I mean, I don't know a lot of the guys, but I would say I, I, I always, uh, <clears throat> um, I always put over Dolph Ziggler. He's a great wrestler. Yeah. And Randy Orton. Randy Orton's a great wrestler. Cody Rhodes. He's a great wrestler. Um, those are kind of guys I would love to work with that are currently doing it and doing it really wrestling and doing it really well. Probably those guys. Oh, AJ Styles. Yeah. Pun, pun intended. <laughs> and his last question is, uh, if you'd put, hang on. Right. If you put together a Survivor Series team, who would we, who would you want in your team? <clears throat> It'd be me and Austin for sure. Um, I would have a bunch of guys I really like. So it would be me, Steve Austin, Savio Vega, the Hog Farmer, and it would be one more. Right? There's five. Uh, who else? Huh. Man, there's so many options. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, probably freaking Undertaker. Throw him in there too. That'd be a solid team. Yeah, definitely. It'd be funny as hell too. <laughs> so that's the fine questions. They're done. Okay. I've, I've finished my questions. And uh, that's it. Is there anything else you would like to plug before we say goodbye? Just come check me out, Road to Recovery, on Facebook Live. Uh, it's on my Facebook page. Mike Drosy, that's my personal, I guess, Facebook page, but it's open to everybody. Um, and you don't have to be friends with me. Just come log on. Everything's public. Or Avi Klein's Facebook page. Um, also, I have a group called Duke the Dumpsters Road to Recovery on Facebook. You can see it there as well. Uh, but just come check it out. And then Saturdays, same deal. Come check it out on my Mike Josie Facebook page, the Trash Cam Live. We have a lot of fun. So it's coming up tonight. or uh, Well, this is Saturday when we're doing this. Um, but, yeah, Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And if any of you guys who follow this go over to his podcast, then say hi and say where you come from. Yeah, right on. So, uh, uh, thank you very much for coming on. It's been... Pleasure's all mine. You coming on and taking time out of your day, and thank you for being honest and open about everything. Yeah. So this has been Duke the Dumpster, Josie. We've been Cubal. Cubal, uh, thank you for having me on the show, brother. I really do appreciate it, man. It's been a great, a, a great conversation and a great show. Thank you very much. No problem at all. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I've been Cubal. Stay safe and stay positive. Oh, remember to like, subscribe, and share my YouTube channel. And like, subscribe. No, like and share. YouTube stuff. Um, outro. Uh, hashtag. Yeah. Yeah.